opportunity to look back at prorogation and of all that it is a symptom of and ask ourselves some serious questions about what we are doing here in this room. Troubling to have seen over the past four years a culture of division, of cynicism, of secrecy, of lack of accountability permeate this house it's in, in its entirety. No, oh, that was a memory, wasn't it? That was back in 2015, a young Justin Trudeau railing on a Stephen Harper over his proroguing of the House. And of course, Trudeau was so against it that he put it in the 2015 Liberal platform. He was never, ever going to do that because he was going to run a transparent government. That was his, that was his promise. But of course, that was then. This is now, and now he needs to change the channel, trying to stop the drip of the wee scandal that has absolutely battered his approval ratings. He needs to, needs to quell the chaos of a government that has seen the finance minister thrown under the bus. And, um, and it's a desperate attempt to press the reset button and possibly daring the opposition to take it to an election if they don't like it and throne speech that will be delivered on September 23rd. Same old, same old, here we go. Jenny Byrne is with Jenny Byrne and Associates, but she did at one time serve as chief of staff to Stephen Harper. And Jenny, I assume you remember, remember that breathy speech, don't you? Oh, very much so. Uh, uh, he, it, was, uh, it was very self-righteous and uh, uh, in terms of uh, the Conservative government uh, uh, proroguing Parliament. And there's some legitimate uh, reasons to prorogue Parliament in terms of an actual economic reset. The issue is with this government, uh, it, they could have, uh, it, it's very convenient that two days before uh, they actually have to uh, give the Ethics Commission commission um, uh, Committee a whole t host ton of documents in terms of the WE scandal that they decide mm -hmm. to prorogue Parliament, even though they could have done it any time between now and September 23rd. Right. And, and and the bad thing, I mean, even adding insult to injury, this House has hardly been sitting. I mean, it is it is as if no one cares in this country that we even have a, a sitting, um, you know, House uh, where they debate and have conversations. So we haven't had that. Now it's prorogued. He'll come back on the 23rd. And I assume you watched his press conference today. Um, it really should have been a moment about Christian Freeland. But the prime minister, of course, could not help but make it about himself. But um, he, he is willing, as you as you heard, to, uh, you know, he'll. They will table a throne speech. Um, it will be a very green kind of utopia rebuilding of the economy. But I like this exchange. I think it speaks volumes. Take a listen. The prorogation we are doing right now is about gaining or testing the confidence of the House, which is the opposite of what the Conservatives did uh, that we rightly railed against back in 2015. Prime Minister, uh, yesterday Bill Morneau said he was resigning in part because he wouldn't be running again. He didn't want to be part of a future that he wouldn't be part of. Will you be on the ballot the next time there's an election? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, Jenny. He will be on that ballot. And um, is it a game of chicken that he's playing? Does he actually think that the opposition won't call him on his bluff? I don't know exactly what he's thinking. I think that the, the short term, I think what we see with this government is there's not a lot of long-term planning. I think right now he is just trying to get through uh, get through every day. I think that they do not want to release a lot of the documents that were going to be released to the Finance and the Ethics Committee uh, in terms of 
the WE uh, program, the Canada Student Grant Program. And I think the reason they didn't want to release it is because it's actually going to be missing documents because mm -hmm. there is no way anyone that has been in government knows that there is no way the public servants, service actually put in writing that WE is the only organization that could have delivered this program because they couldn't. They actually had to farm out uh, the French uh, delivery of this program to a, a government relations firm. So I think this is a uh, this is just trying to get through the day. And the fact of the matter is, is they're playing politics and we still, Alex, have 11 percent of the Canadian population is still unemployed. It's, this is this is not like Canada's not in a very good fiscal uh, position right now. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to play politics. It's a whole other game to play during a time when, you know, millions of people are really, really suffering and still waiting for any kind of notice of a recovery plan, which we have yet to see. But I guess we'll see this on September 23rd. But the unfortunate thing, as you mentioned, not just we, but there are several committees that now have to shut down. Um, looking into China relations, looking into a whole bunch of the two Michaels. There's a whole bunch of things that now can't be looked into. But when it comes to to we and those documents, uh, Pierre Polyevre saying today that, you know, um, they were trying to to get a letter written, uh, I guess, forcing, um, you know, that they be handed over and get access to these documents. So is it that they won't get any access to them until September 23rd? I mean, where does this go from now? And, and I can't imagine that the opposition is going to stop digging and not get anything. Well, but but the government legally, that's the actual case. So uh, uh, the speech from the throne will happen on September 23rd. And like all things, Parliament will move at a kind of a snail snail's pace. So even if September 23rd is when Parliament's reconstituted and committees are reconstituted, it's going to be at least a week or two after that. So we're looking at October uh, before the Finance and the Ethics Committee meets again mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, in terms of, uh, of of discussing this, and if the government was truly going to be transparent, they could have easily said, "We're going to prorogue Parliament on September 22nd for a September 23rd uh, speech from the throne." But they obviously that was not the goal. They they obviously wanted to ensure that this uh, that these committees were shut down and no more uh, information on who was discussed with, by the opposition. Right. And again, um, you know, this is going to be a test for, for all the opposition parties. I mean, um, the, the bloc leader is more than happy to go to the polls. Uh, he has made it very clear, including today when he said it again. Uh, NDP are in no rush to go to the polls. But if they do truly believe that this government is corrupt and playing politics, et cetera, then, you know, they're going to have to make a choice on the on the 23rd. And then the conservatives who will have a new leader in place by Sunday um, you know, they may not have as much money in the war chest, but all the opposition parties are going to have to make a decision. And I fear that they're going to make a decision based on the fact that it's, you know, if they go to the polls, it becomes very ugly politically because we're in the middle of a pandemic. But at the same time, you know, not calling true on his bluff means, you know, he basically gets away with this, albeit we would get more investigations into to we and other scandals. Uh, agreed. And I think the Liberals would like to go as soon as possible because I think the economic ramifications of COVID in the last six months have not fully been felt by people. People fully don't uh, realize the catastrophe that is happening uh, with the economy because governments have been propping up people's income uh, for the most part. Uh, and, you know, every day more businesses go, uh, small businesses go out of business. Uh, the Liberals have been helped uh, for the most part by the NDP. Jagmeet Singh has basically propped up, so to speak, uh, this government. It was the, his deal with the Liberals that has prevented the House from sitting in the last uh, three or four months. And any of the media that I saw him give today, it didn't seem like he was 
shying away from from uh, from that position. So we're going to have to see what uh, what happens in terms of the speech from the throne on the on the 23rd and then the subsequent votes that will happen weeks after that. Yeah, strategically, I mean, it's pretty smart of the prime minister. He can come out, gets a little bit of wind in his sails and, uh, you know, because he's basically playing a game of chicken. Yeah, it's it's very similar to what the liberals did. uh, uh, The liberals did in Ontario after the gas plant scandal, of course, got rid of McGuinty and uh, uh, nominated uh, uh, Wynne and became leader. And then eventually there was an election. They didn't get rid of uh, their leader in this case. They got rid of their finance minister. But it's it's very similar in terms of uh, issues management. I'm just not sure it's going to work for them the way that it did uh, provincially. But it will be a um, um, and and Krisha backed up Mr. Trudeau today talking about all things all things fair, green, and globalist. Um, I mean, they're going to put a very progressive vision forward for this country. Uh, it was as if uh, Trudeau was just deeply ashamed of this terrible you know country that we live in because it's been failing everybody and on and on it went. But it's clear they plan on on running a very heavy green uh, based kind of uh, renewal of, of of an economy. Uh, which okay, your taxes won't go up but everyone will go broke yeah i i think it's uh it's it's obviously uh it's it's it it shows the activist nature of this uh government if you remember in 2008 2009 with the economic crisis um the global economic crisis part of the reason canada fared better than some of our g7 and our g20 uh countries is because of the strength in the uh in the oil sands in the alberta economy and of course that's not the case uh, now, Alberta was hurting uh, prior to the actual ever, uh, the shutdown of COVID in uh, in March, and I think that it. Uh, I think the Liberals have a very, um, um, to your point, uh, kind of a, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a not realistic position to think that uh, we're going to be able to weather the storm through, uh, you know, solar panels and uh, and wind farms. Well, never say never. I mean, uh, Mark Carney has made it clear he's not interested in the oil sands. And so I think it would uh, outrage the West uh, if this thing is all green and and phasing out the oil sands. But quickly, because you've been in this world, been behind the scenes, you know what happens. I mean, it's hard to think um, that Bill Morneau will go quietly into the night. He may not say something, but are we going to start seeing leaks and drips probably, you know, from from those who either work for him? Because there's a real loyalty when you work for a minister. I mean, it's hard to think that nothing's going to come out. Well, it'll be interesting. We started to see that before uh, before he actually left in yeah. his office, uh, uh, leaking information. I still think we're also going to see uh, leaks come from senior levels of the uh, of the public service because Trudeau has gone from basically saying the public service uh, recommended projects like we to basically saying they they kind of shoved it down its throat. So I, I think you're going to see, uh, I think you're probably going to see more information uh, uh, be a brown envelope to, uh, to uh, you know, mem- colleagues that you have in Ottawa uh, in the next few weeks. There you go. That's uh, politics for you. Jenny, I appreciate the insider's look. Thanks for uh, giving us some of that insight. Thanks, Alex. Have a great night. Our family, we have COVID and uh, we've been staying home. And uh, actually, COVID is quite good. We've been working, getting farm equipment ready. Um, really, we haven't had a day off. We've been pushing through. So if this is COVID, I guess I have it. And I know different people have different reactions. But um, yeah, I've. this is me. I've got COVID right now. Praise be. That would be one Chris Lindbergh, the self-described evangelist who went against the rules and held a very big prayer event in Alberta.
And he says, you know, they were all touched by God that day. Sadly, God uh, didn't stop 17 people at that event from getting, you know, uh, a number of cases of um, COVID-19. And, uh, you know, we keep hearing about these large gatherings. Uh, BC's having a terrible time with these uh, surging cases. Alberta and, you know, now in Ontario, we are starting to see the numbers go up. And it's all kind of happening at the same time. We're trying to open up the economy, trying to get our kids back to school. And then you see the Ontario numbers where we're uh, up above the 100 mark. And a majority of the cases aged 20 to 39, 21 of these cases are reportedly people under the age of 20. Dr. David Jacobs, Ontario Specialist Association Chair, Coalition of Ontario Doctors and VP of the Ontario Association of Radiologists joins us now. Good to have you, doctor. Thanks for having me again. Well, there you go. The self-described uh, evangelist, uh, he hosted this It Is Time Canada event in Alberta, and they had an incredible time, but now 17 of them have COVID events, and they're still counting, but these large gatherings are such a problem, and yet people are doing it. Well, there's absolutely no excuse for having them. There's no reason to have them at this time. Uh, you know, you can uh, have your uh, your time of worship does not require you to be, uh, you know, elbow to elbow with 200 other people. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you look at um, if, if the Pope in Rome can uh, delay uh, mass gatherings, uh, if the, uh, you know, it, you look at all of the major religions, uh, they've all taken this very seriously. Uh, and I just wish that people would do the same here. Uh, you have to protect each other. And if you're uh, elbow to elbow, maybe you'll get away with it. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll get a mild case of COVID, but you could end up in the ICU or the people that you've invited to this gathering could end up in the ICU themselves. Uh, I've never seen anybody sicker than people who've had a bad case of COVID. Yeah, and late today, uh, Toronto Health confirming that at least one person from the brass rail of those 550 have actually come down with the virus. Uh, and that's one of those cases where we may not know how many people got the spread because who would admit that they got it, you know, at, at that kind of establishment? So we get these large gatherings, and what strikes me is the age, you know, even the new cases in Ontario, 21 new cases under uh, the age of 20. Is yeah. that new? It seems to be, um, you know, everyone was very well protected earlier. And now as people venture out uh, and they start to socialize in larger gatherings, uh, we're getting more and more cases. Now, the good news is, is that the cases under the age of 40 seem to be much more mild. The bad news is, is if you don't get a mild case, if you get a severe case, you have many, many years of life ahead of you to have mm -hmm. to deal with the consequences of a bad case of COVID. Right, because I'm actually at seven o'clock going to be speaking with a Kitchener woman. I mean, she she had a, a mildish case, uh, but it took 76 days and 14 tests for her to finally get a negative result. She's a nurse actually on the front lines, but you know, she's having all sorts of issues with side effects, breathing, coughing. I mean, she she just is exhausted all the time. And and again, you might not get one of those cases where you're you're intubated. But it doesn't matter. You can be stuck with these um, with these uh, symptoms after. 
Well, most of the cases don't end up in intubation. Most of the cases don't end up in the ICU. But I can tell you from my personal experience, uh, many of the cases that still don't end up needing that level of care uh, have very severe pneumonias. And a severe pneumonia can damage your lung permanently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully, most of these people will recover 100%, but there's no guarantee, and we don't know what the long-term effects are. Uh, The COVID can impact your lungs, your heart, your kidneys, your brain. Uh, You're getting a systemic inflammatory changes. You're getting microemboli. This is a very, very serious disease. Right. There's a cardiologist out of uh, a New York, um, Mount Sinai, and she says that they're starting to notice uh, patients in their 30s who are getting pretty major heart, um, you know, uh, damage, uh, organs like kidneys are getting severely damaged. That's not something you can cure. That means you're stuck with that for life, correct? When you have renal damage, uh, the nephrons don't regenerate. So you're left, uh, hopefully you haven't damaged more than half of your renal function. You can function with one kidney, but as you get, uh, but you know, as you lose more and more renal function, you step closer and closer to dialysis, which, you, yeah. which is not a place you want to be when you're young. Well, it raises an interesting uh, conversation because if a number of young people are getting it, and even in mild cases, and then they have these ongoing symptoms that are, you know, and those tend to get worse as you get older, everything gets, you know, more difficult, you know, more aches and pains. We could start to see real burdens on the health care. I mean, the elderly population is always blamed for putting such a burden on the health care. But after the fact, uh, you know, we could have a real problem with treating people, a lot of people who have these COVID symptoms. It's a, it's a theoretical possibility. So far, the numbers would suggest that we're not going to head there. But if we're not careful, certainly we could end up with a, with a large burden on, on, on the health care system. As a physician, I kind of always focus on the individual. And it's, uh, you know, I, uh, somebody in their 20s, 30s, 40s who have bad renal function, bad lung function, uh, bad uh, heart disease, those are really hard cases to watch mm-hmm. because it is so limiting for them. So I just urge people to be careful. So if I've had uh, pneumonia twice in my life, does that mean that I am more susceptible? Or, or if you've even had a, a really bad respiratory infection, are you more susceptible to this? Well, you have to catch the uh, the virus, and then the virus, depending on it, seems to be depending on uh, the viral load, the the amount of virus that you have, and other factors as to whether or not you're going to end up with a bad case of COVID or not. There's a certain amount of random luck to it as well. It would seem uh, obesity also uh, mm-hmm. plays a part. So there's no way to be certain. But if you're going into a bad uh, in COVID infection and you have underlying conditions, it, it's not a good place to start. No kidding. Well, the unknowns of this thing every day become known and uh, it gets kind of creepy. Uh, doctor, I've got to leave you on that note, but uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Talk soon.